Yes, and so now, now we're going to have Pastor Jeff demonstrate one of the tribal dances for us. Um, <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. No, thank you, Chapel family, for being generous. And there is more to do, but there is some going to be some changes to come, and we'll keep you posted as those do. I'm sure Pastor Jay will be sharing more as we go along. If you're newer with us today or you haven't been here in a couple of weeks, we are going through the book of John together. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get out uh, uh, to, the, to the book of John. We're going to be in chapter 7 today. We're going chapter by chapter through this amazing book. And, and um, chapter 7 today revolves around one main event. It revolves around a Jewish national festival. And I absolutely love this chapter because... Who of us doesn't love a good festival? I mean, many of you, perhaps even last week, you went to the Strawberry Festival here in Norwalk. You know, here in just a little bit, we'll have the Basket Festival, and we have the Melon Festival, and Love Norwalk will be happening here in August. Lots to do there. And then um, in our Sandusky campus in Huron, they have the Waterfront Festival there in Huron. And in, in our Port Clinton campus, in that community, they celebrate the Walleye Festival, all these communities have these different festivals that take place. In fact, some of these festivals are festivals that you may have never even heard of. For instance, did you know in Ohio we also had the Twins Festival in Twinsburg, Ohio? You been to this one? All right, well, let me see if I can up it. Have you been to this one, the Hollerin Heritage Festival in North Carolina? What about this one, the Cow Chip Throw Festival in Wisconsin? I don't know. I don't know what those people are doing in Wisconsin, but that seems odd. Uh, I lived in Michigan for a little bit. I never heard of this one, the Humongous Fungus Festival that goes on. This one, oh, the Pumpkin Chunkin Festival. I have heard of that one in Illinois. Um, but I bet you haven't heard of this one, and if you have, we need to chat. Um, this is called Mike the Headless Chicken Festival in Colorado. <laughs> All right, my last one I'll give you, but if you're from West Virginia, what in the world is happening here? The Roadkill Cook-Off <laughs> Festival. <laughs> I don't even, I don't even know. There's a lot more, um, you look them up yourself at your own risk. Uh, there's, there's a lot more. All of these little communities have these festivals because they represent the culture, the history, the, the heritage that these locals share in these, in these communities. And that is what festivals are meant to do. And the Jewish people here in Jesus' day, they're not without festivals. In fact, they had a calendar that was filled with festivals for celebrating and remembering their unique history, their culture, their, their identity. Now, they didn't have the Melon Festival, but they had, what they did have was seven different festivals throughout the year that God himself had given these people. And you know, uh, some of you know, I, I love history, and I'm kind of a history nerd in that way, and so bear with me a little bit this morning. I want to share with you a little of the history of what's going on here with these people in this time at this festival. And, and, and we find these festivals 
in Leviticus chapter 23. It lists them for us. The first festival we see, the first Jewish festival, is called Passover. Some of you are familiar with Passover. This is a one-day festival. It was meant to remind the people of God's deliverance. And then we see a seven-day festival that takes place, the Feast of Unleavened Bread Festival. This is where these people celebrated and remembered that going from their old way of life to a new way of living. They took time, seven days. And then there was a one-day festival called the Festival of First Fruits. This is when they would harvest their first crop of, of barley, and they would remind them of how God provided for them. They would celebrate that. And then there was a one-day festival that was called the Feast of Weeks. Many of you know this festival is Pentecost. The one-day festival where, where they would give thanksgiving to God for his bountiful harvest. These four were springtime festivals, okay? Then they had three festivals they would do that were fall festivals. So coming up on, for us, what we would think of as our festival times. They celebrated the Festival of Trumpets. This was, this was the first festival kind of indicating the Jewish civil new year that would take place. It was just a time of joy and thanksgiving to God. And then they went into the Day of Atonement. This was a one-day festival where the high priest, he would go to the temple. He would go to the center of the temple, to the Holy of Holies. He would offer sacrifice for the sins of people. It was to indicate the fellowship that we had with God. They would celebrate that. And then five days, only five days, the very next week after the Day of Atonement, they would launch into this big seven-day festival, kind of the crown pinnacle of the year festival that they call the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths Festival. And thousands and thousands of people from the surrounding cities and areas would come to this festival to be a part of what was happening. This was a festival that they would stop to celebrate not only their fall harvest, but they would celebrate and remember how God had protected and guided and led the Israelites through the wilderness as they were heading towards the promised land. And they would take seven days to celebrate this festival. And chapter 7 of John that we were in today revolves around this seventh festival. It revolves around the Feast of Tabernacles. And Jesus said a bunch of things within this festival, but there was something he said that was kind of like the crown jewel, the pinnacle, the one, one author put it as the gold leaf inscribed words of Jesus in this festival. And so I want to highlight these words for us today. We find these in John chapter 7. We're going to jump right down to verse 37 and 38 if you're in your Bibles. These are the words Jesus spoke that were so critical. He said this, On the last day, that is the final day of this festival, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me to drink. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. These are, as I read that, instantly four words kind of jump out to me. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you, underline, circle, um, highlight these four words. Thirsty, come, drink, 
and anyone. Four critical words in this. And as we look at these gold leaf words that Jesus spoke, and ultimately we kind of understand more of what's happening here in chapter 7, I want to answer three questions with you today. Three main questions. The first one being, to whom is Jesus speaking? That means, who is in this crowd? Who is he talking to? What do the people think of Jesus that are hearing him say these words? In fact, I would encourage you, when you are reading Scripture, when you are doing your own time with the Lord, your chair time, I would encourage you to ask this question always. To who is he speaking? Who is this message for? Who's in the crowd that's hearing this message? That's always important to know. Question two, why the Feast of Tabernacles? Why did Jesus choose this moment in time to deliver this gold leaf message? What what was the point? We know Jesus does everything on purpose. So why did he choose this time and this place to deliver this message? I want to get into that. Third question I want to answer is, what was Jesus saying to them? And ultimately, not only what was he saying to them and what did it mean for them, but then what does that mean for us? What was he saying to us? And so the first question we want to jump into, to whom was Jesus speaking? Well, since my family and I have moved to Norwalk a few years ago. We've been a part of the Basket Festival and the Melon Festival, partly because my daughters go to Edison School and they're both involved in extracurriculars, you know, drama and music and sports and all those things. And as you know, if you're a parent and you have kids in those things, the expectation is as a parent that you give some time to help the school in those areas. So because of that, I have been, uh, I, I am now world-renowned bratwurst griller extraordinaire um, at the Bratwurst booth. Booth. Um, my wife has served at the, the, the band booster booth, the cheese booth. We, we've been a part of these festivals, whether we like it or not. We've spent a lot of hours at these festivals. And I've noticed a couple of things that happen at these festivals. Two things. People love to eat and they love to talk. Two things. I especially love the first one, the eating part. In fact, I wonder what your favorite is. Mine, I can't, I can't get away from the bourbon chicken. Oh, that stuff is good. And then that, um, the sweet corn that they dunk in the vat of butter. Oh, and, and I always love the brody fries and, of course, the melon ice cream and all that stuff. I just love those things. But not only do we take the time to just eat and celebrate while we're there, but people talk. We talk to Friends and family, you talk to people in the community you haven't seen in a while. You catch up on the goings around of what's happening at the school and with the sports and hobbies and and all of those kind of things. So with that in mind, what do you think people did at the Festival of Tabernacle, the Feast of Tabernacle? The same. They, They ate. They talked. In fact, that word festival that comes from the word feast, they ate, they enjoyed they, 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 I doubt they had the bourbon chicken, but I'm sure they had some really good stuff. Not only did they eat and they enjoy together, but they talked. They, they spent time sharing with their families. They talked about life. They talked about the weather. They talked about the local sports, the community things going on. Sometimes I think we have this picture that these people are so different than us. How could we relate? But the fact is, I'm seeing so many similarities to how they lived, to how we lived. We shared a lot of the same stuff, except this one particular year, 
This one particular year, something happened at this festival. It was different. And it, there was this buzz in the air. There was, there was kind of a, an excitement, but, but a, just a buzz. People were talking. And what do you suppose they were talking about? They're talking about Jesus. They're talking about Jesus. In fact, they would have been asking this question, like, who is this guy? Who is this guy up to this point? Jesus had been doing miracles. He had been teaching in ways they hadn't heard before. He was saying stuff and doing stuff that was astounding them. And Jesus was developing some followers. People were starting to gather around. He was starting to get popular. They were taking notice. There was a buzz in the air about who in the world is this guy? People were wondering. And in fact, everyone at this festival and I mean everyone, had an opinion about who Jesus was. And that is the crowd to who Jesus was speaking. A crowd full of people with opinions. And they were opinions about him. In fact, let me give you just some examples of some of these opinions that we can find in chapter 7 of John today. Some people said this. They said, well, he's just a good man. He's a good guy. That that was it. That was their level of experience. In fact, earlier in chapter 7 and verse 5, actually, it said his brothers brothers didn't believe him. Even his half-brothers, they were unsure about who Jesus was. Now, later, James would go on to lead the church. He would go on to give his life, declaring that his brother was God. He was convinced of this. And, and so that changed. But at this point in time, they're still unsure. Some people just thought, well, maybe he's just a good guy. Um, other people said, no, no, no. He's nothing but a fraud who deceives people. Maybe he's a trickster. He's a wheeler and a dealer. You can't trust this guy. Or there's others that said they were surprised when they heard him. Because how did they know? How did he know so much when he hadn't been trained? He didn't go to the university, but yet he knew so much. How is this possible? They were surprised. In verse 20, some people in the crowd replied with, well, this guy's demon-possessed. They didn't think he was from God at all. They, the only explanation they had was that he had been possessed by a demon. Can you imagine? And then it goes on to say some of the leaders could or leaders possibly believe that he was the Messiah, apparently, in their communities, in their towns where they were, even some of the local leaders were kind of scratching their heads, and they were unsure. Maybe, maybe he is. They, weren't, they didn't know. And then verse 27 says, but we know where this man comes from. That's key. They knew where he grew up. So when the Messiah comes, they said, he will simply appear. No one will know where he comes from. So there was this popular belief at the time. It wasn't theologically based. It isn't scripturally based. But it was this belief that that no one would know where where the Messiah would come from. That he would just kind of appear out of nowhere. And so the fact they knew where Jesus was from indicated he couldn't be the Messiah. This was one of their beliefs. And then, verse 31. Many among the crowds at the temple did believe him. After all, they said, look at these miracles he's done. And that was the point of the miracles, right? To point people to Jesus. It was to authenticate his message. And some believed through that. But then it goes on to say the Pharisees, the leading priests, what they do? Well, they, they thought he was a criminal. They wanted to arrest him. Why did they think he was a criminal? Because he went and he healed someone on the Sabbath day. And you don't work on the Sabbath day. 
It was illegal. They wanted him to be arrested for this. And then we see in verse 40, some declared, surely this man is a prophet. I mean, he seemed to know some stuff. He seemed, he seemed to have a knowledge about him. And maybe their explanation was, well, he was a prophet. Then in verse 41, others said he is the Messiah. They were convinced he is the Christ. But others said he can't be. Because will the Messiah come from Galilee? Again, we know where he's from. This can't be the Messiah. All of these people had an opinion about who Jesus was. This was the buzz in the air. It was the topic of conversation that was going on. In fact, John kind of summarizes all of these people's opinions, and he just says this in verse 43. The crowd was divided about him. No kidding. They, they, they just didn't know. I mean, all the way from people thinking, gosh, he's demon-possessed, he should be arrested, he's a trickster, a wheeler, and a dealer, all the way over here to, no, 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 he truly is the Messiah, he's the Christ, and everyone in between scratching their heads and going, I don't know, they all had opinions. And I thought about this, and I thought, wow, not much has changed in all of these years, has it? I mean, when you consider your world around you, if you were to ask the coworkers that you're with or, or, or your classmates that you're with, your neighbors, even some in your own family, if you were to ask them, who is Jesus, you're going to get a lot of different opinions, aren't you? A lot of people think a lot of different stuff to this day. And this is the crowd that Jesus is addressing, a crowd of people filled with opinions about him. Okay, question two. Why the Feast of Tabernacles? Why did he choose this feast, this, or th- this festival, to speak? Well, uh, this was not a minor festival that's happening. This is, a, this is a big deal. Seven days, thousands of Jews coming from all around distant lands to celebrate those 40 years of wanderness wandering in the wilderness and, and God providing for them. Thousands and thousands would surround this city in anticipation for this. This was a whole family fun event. Everyone would come. It was said, all the reading I did on it said it was a fun event. It was an enjoyable event with the families. They would have had fun. They would have ate. They would have talked. They would have relaxed. They were playing, I'm sure. They were, we were doing all of these things that you would expect them to do at a festival. All the things that we do at a festival were happening here. But I think there's two main reasons Jesus chose this festival to speak the words that he spoke. And it is related to that word tabernacle. Now, most of us don't use that word on a regular basis. You may have never said that word, tabernacle. It's not common. What it means, that term, it simply means a shelter. It's a shelter. In fact, this Feast of Tabernacles, if you were to go to Google and find out more information and you type in the Feast of Tabernacles, it might pop up. You'll see another name for it, often called the Feast of Booths. Of Booths. The reason they called it this was because young men with their families would come in and they would construct these booths or these shelters using uh, poplar branches and palm branches and things available to them, they would make these makeshift shelters during the festival that their families would stay in. And they did that to commemorate 
the 40 years that the people wandered in the wilderness as they waited for the promised land, they stayed in these shelters. And so this was to signify that. That most scholars believe that Jesus chose this festival, the festival of booths or tabernacles, to, to refer to something critical. His first and his second coming. Let me explain. If we look back in, in John chapter 1, John said these words. He said, so the word became human and made his home among us. That word home can be translated dwelt among us. In fact, that word dwelt can be translated tabernacled among us. So essentially what John was saying his, in regards to the first coming of Jesus, he said the word Jesus became human and he tabernacled among us, is what he says. But then they, they also believe that Jesus selected this feast because they are some, he, they, he was symbolically referring to the second coming of Jesus. That is when his kingdom will come and be established again here on this earth, and he will dwell, he will tabernacle among his people. But there's, there's one more reason I think Jesus chose this festival to speak. And it has to do with his words that he spoke in chapter 7. Because oddly enough, this festival, this Feast of Tabernacle, highlighted one kind of cool thing that these people did, and it revolved around water. The reason they, they celebrated water was because if we look back into the Old Testament Hebrew Scripture, then we go all the way back to Exodus and we read the story of the Israelites wandering through the wilderness. There was at one point that they became very thirsty and they came and they pleaded with God to provide them with water. And so by God's grace, he instructed Moses to smack the rock. Remember the story from Sunday school? He smacked the rock with the staff and when he smacked the rock with the staff, the water came out and the people were able to drink. They were cared for, and they celebrated this gift of water during this festival. In fact, one commentator, he actually says it like this. He said, each day of the feast, each day except the last day, a golden bowl of water was carried from the Pool of Siloam to the temple and poured out at the altar. And during the pouring out of the water, the watching multitudes, that means thousands, chanted the words from Isaiah, come. All you who are thirsty, come to the waters with joy. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So imagine this. Here you are, thousands of people every day would stop and watch this ceremony, this ritual take place where they would remember how God miraculously gave them water from a rock. They, they, they would celebrate this. This was the main theme of the celebration. In fact, I got a kick reading about this because there, at one point they said that, that, the, that the Jews that would come from the area pilgriming in for this event could actually purchase and take home with them a souvenir water jar that would show the people in their communities and families that they had been there and that they had seen and witnessed this ritual. It was that important and that critical. So all week long, every single day, the ritual would happen. Thousands of people watching this water collecting, water pouring out ritual. But then came the last day. The last day. 
something changed. They omitted this ritual on the last day, the climactic day, and they didn't do the ritual. Why? Because it was the Sabbath day. You don't work on the Sabbath day, remember? And so they didn't do the ritual. Six days in a row, ritual. Seventh day, no ritual. And that, with that knowledge, that kind of leads me back to Jesus' words. Let me remind you of what Jesus said. On the last day, right, the Sabbath day, the seventh day, the climax of the festival, they didn't do the ritual on the seventh day. Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. This is the perfect moment for Jesus to capitalize and gain these people's attention. In a moment where they stopped the ritual, Jesus stood and spoke these words that I, I, the water. Come to me if you're thirsty. Then my third question. What was Jesus saying to them? What did it mean for them? What did it mean for us? If you recall back in John chapter 4, Jesus met the woman at the well, right? He asked the woman for a drink of water, but then he offered her living water. Remember the story a couple weeks ago? He offered her this living water, which was essentially, he was offering her the gift of eternal life. He offered it to the woman at the well, and now he stands before these crowds of thousands of people, and he offers it to them as well. And you see this last sentence where it says, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Well, John was concerned when readers like you and I read this that we wouldn't understand what he meant. And so he takes the next verse, 39, to clarify for us what this means. And he says this in verse 39. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. So a little theology 101 here for you to take home. When a person comes to put their faith in Jesus, when a person chooses to believe in Jesus and they accept him as their Savior and they choose to follow him, when that happens, God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, it comes to live within that person and change that person from the inside out. Living water, evidence of eternal life, will flow out of that person. So let me ask you this question, and please don't answer me out loud. Let me ask you this. Who among us, not even, don't even think about the world, just think about in this room, who among us is eligible for living water? Who... Who among us is eligible for, for eternal life? Who, who among us, just even in this room, is qualified to have the Holy Spirit come and live within them and change their life? Who among us? I know your wheels are turning. It's easy to skip past this critical word Jesus spoke. 
So I highlighted it. I'm telling you, if you have your Bibles, highlight this word because it's an important word. Look again. Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow out of his heart. So who is Jesus speaking to in this crowd? He's speaking to those people who think he's demon-possessed. He's speaking to those people who think he should be arrested. He's speaking to those people who think he's a thief and a crook. And he's speaking to those people who really think he is the Christ, the Messiah, and everyone in between. He is speaking to those people Jesus knew who was in the crowd he knew their opinions about him. And this, this is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of the good news of Jesus, that it is for anyone, anyone but Charles. You don't know what I've done. It's for anyone, but you don't know that guy, anyone. What about him? Anyone. It's for anyone. That is the, the beauty of this. In fact, I love this pastor. His name's Richard Baxter, and he said this one time. He said, if my name, Richard, had been on that invitation to come to Jesus, I would have feared the invitation belonged to some other who had the same name. But since the Lord said any, I knew even I was welcome. Any. Anyone in the crowd. Anyone in this world, remember? For God so loved the world. Anyone. That means anyone in your workplaces, neighbors, family, anyone in this room, anyone, regardless of your opinions, anyone, regardless of I lived a, a well-lived life and, and, and I made good choices, but I'm still I'm void of, of God in the assurance of heaven, anyone. I, I lived a hard life, and I made some poor choices, and then I got into some trouble, and now I'm struggling to even know if I'm forgiven and loved. Anyone. Anyone. The words from Jesus here are the same. It's to anyone. And so here's what's critical. Jesus says this. this is why I had you underline these words, because Jesus says this. Do you have a thirst? Do you thirst. That means, do you thirst for God? Do you thirst for forgiveness? Do you thirst for eternal life? If you thirst, he says, come. Come to me, he says. And when you come to me, he says, drink. Drink, that means to believe in me. Follow me. Trust me. Thirst, come, drink. And who's it for? This is the best part. Anyone. I'm telling you, this deserves a festival. It, John, throughout the gospel that he wrote, you'll hear him, he points over and over in some overt ways and some not-so-overt ways to his death on the cross. Sometimes this is symbolic. And, and today is one of those symbolic times that we look forward as well to this cross. We see when the Israelites were in the wilderness, God provided them with life-giving water. This is water that came from the rock that was struck. And this water quenched their thirst, yes, but it couldn't quench their hearts. 
And so in anticipation of the cross, anticipation, Jesus offered the crowd at this festival, and he offers you and I today, he offers us living water. This is the kind of water that that can touch and change a person's heart. It changes us. Uh, It was on the cross. Jesus was hit just as the rock was hit, and from that rock sprung water from Jesus out of this judgment of God that, that he took on his shoulders, the sin of you and I that he took on his shoulders, out of that flows living water, living water that he gives to each of us. So with that, would you take your elements you were given? If you didn't get one of these on your way in and you need one, um, we have some people here that will come around and get them for you. But if you would, just peel back that top layer because it is during this time that we stop and we celebrate and we remember and we give thanks together for what Jesus has done for us. That is why Paul, he, he, he said, um, he said, uh, this is my body, which is broken for you. Quoting Jesus, he says, do this in remembrance of me. So we unite our hearts this morning as believers in Jesus Christ together, believing thanking, celebrating, and remembering the sacrifice of our Savior, that living water. Let's take this bread together. And then if you open the second layer, he goes on to say, In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This is my blood that was shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we drink this as a symbol of Jesus' blood in remembrance and thanksgiving and celebration of his sacrifice for us. We do this together. Let's take that. As we close, I wonder, could we just stand together and could we use these words as a benediction that Sonia leads us in and then I'll close us in prayer. Let's join our hearts together now. 